Amen. All right, they're going to send the offering around, and we're going to continue on this morning. It is a beautiful day to be at church, right? I'll try that again. It's a beautiful day to be at church, right? It's always a good day to be at church. Like I say, I'm here most days, so all the days are beautiful. But first Sunday of June, right? It's supposed to be getting close to summer. Man, last week we had a beautiful Memorial Day barbecue. Memorial Day Sunday, we had this barbecue. Um, It was a beautiful day. Now, sometimes we'll say that, that it was a beautiful day because of the weather. And we most assuredly cannot say it was a beautiful Sunday because of the weather. This barbecuing out there and I could see my breath. But it was a beautiful day because of all the beautiful people that were there. It was a beautiful day because of all of your beautiful hearts. So we're so grateful that you were there with us this past weekend. Thanks for eating all the hamburgers and hot dogs. Honestly, it was, it was Memorial Day, so I thought it would be kind of chill, and I was so wrong. It was the opposite of chill. So thank you for coming that day. I should have had a sign-up sheet out for sides and desserts. Uh, we'll do that next time. I thought we wouldn't need one because it would be chill, but it was busy. So thank you for coming. Uh, I'm looking forward to, we have this awesome patio back here. If you're brand new and I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you afterwards. Hand you a coffee mug if you haven't got one. Say thank you for coming. Uh, but we've got this great patio back here in, you know, we got a barbecue out there and grass and a volleyball pit, and we plan on spending some time out there this summer. So uh, we'll let you know as we plan those things out. It's a great place to just fellowship, be in the presence of the Lord together. This morning, we are finishing up uh, one of these sections of Ephesians. We've been in Ephesians for uh, most of this year, uh, taking little breaks for Easter and things like that. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter four. Today, we're going to be finishing up verses one through 16. Our theme through these verses, through these first 16 verses, chapter 4, has been together. Two weeks ago, we talked about how God wants us to be together in spirit, together in our hearts. He wants our hearts to be the same, after the same things, together in spirit. Last week, we talked about how God's desire for us is to be together in action, to put some feet to what he has asked us to do. We started out by talking about this one specific expression that we use in the English language, and believe it or not, it's in the Bible, and that expression is, talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. How it is necessary to be together in spirit, together in the depths of our heart. But eventually, we got to put some action to it, right? We got to put some feet to it. That verse, Ecclesiastes 5-7, in the New Living Translation, it says, talk is cheap, like daydreams and other useless activities. We got to put some feet to what's inside of our heart. In order to set up what we're talking about this week, which is how God wants us to be not only together in spirit, together in action, but together and growing, that's what we're talking about today. We just need to refresh our memories on a couple of points from last week, because honestly, I meant to get through this whole section last week, and there was too much in there. So a couple of points from last week to remember, uh, that to be together in action to move forward together, we have to realize that every one of us is unique. God has given every one of us unique and incredible gifts. And not only do we recognize that God's made us incredible and unique, but we embrace that uniqueness. We're so glad that everyone else is not just like us. Because at the church, at our church, at the Big C Church, that's when we're at our best, when everyone is using their unique gifts. Something so interesting about these verses that we talked about last week is that they tell us how because Jesus had come to earth, descended to earth, and then ascended to heaven, it's his right to pass out the unique gifts however he wants to. He came, he won the victory over death, he rose from the grave, he went to heaven, and he can pass out the gifts however he likes. 
And it's God's desire that we put those gifts into motion. We spent some time talking about that last week. How those gifts that God gives, that Jesus gives out to us, they're not so we can gain some kind of title. We don't use a gift so we can get recognition from humans. But so we can minister, so we can help the church move forward, help the the news of the gospel go forward. And the gifts God has given us are for equipping the church. Not for earthly kingdom building or gaining notoriety, but for equipping the church. And when we say the church, that's us. We are the church to minister. We talked, uh, I think we'll touch on it a little bit later, but there's gifts that are mentioned there in Ephesians chapter 4. There's gifts that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians, gifts that are mentioned in Romans, all sorts of spiritual gifts, and we've all got them. This morning, as we talk about as God's church, uh, we're going to talk about how we should be together and moving forward. Has anyone here ever tried to get a large group of people to do anything together? Anybody besides me? I've tried it a few times. It can be an exercise in frustration sometimes. Now, if your group is small, you can get everyone moving together pretty easily in most cases. You know, there's always an exception to the rule. But if your group is small, you can get them moving together pretty easily. Uh, I was a youth pastor for six years. When I first got out of college, I was a youth pastor at a church called Christian Faith Center in Nampa. And a lot of times when you are a youth pastor, what you do is you go places together. That's what teenagers want to do. They want to come together and they want to go do stuff. We've been talking a lot about camp lately. Camp's one of my favorite things. And getting up there and being at camp is great, right? You go to service and you play the games and, and all that stuff. But the actual trip, the journey, can be just as memorable. Does anyone have memorable church van rides in their history? Am I the only one? Come on, that's just what we do, right? The first time I was responsible to take students anywhere uh, as the one in charge, I had just started the youth pastor, Christian Faith Center in Nampa, and I took two kids, Bridget and Brittany. I remember these two girls, Bridget and Brittany. And it was pretty simple. I made sure they were there, and I showed up, and we had the permission slip uh, turned out or filled out, and then we went. At the time, I had a Suburban. I had a, I think it was a 1990 Suburban, big old black Suburban I brought from my parents. And uh, as our group grew a tiny bit, I could put like eight of us plus luggage inside the Suburban. Eventually, we had to add, you know, a second vehicle. But when it really got tricky was when we added the third vehicle. Because the more people you have, the tougher it is to get everyone moving together. And to keep them moving. Eventually, by the time we left there, we were taking upwards of 70 people and their luggage on these trips. And I was learning just how important it was to keep everybody moving in the same direction. And how important it was that if we were going to get there safe, or even get there at all, that we're not only moving, but we're moving together. And God's heart for us is that we would not only be together as his church, but that we'd be moving forward. Let's read these verses, Ephesians 4, 13 through 16. This morning, I'm reading out of uh, the NIV. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ, from the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does 
its work. Got three thoughts for you, friends, about moving forward together from this passage that I want to share with you this morning. The first one is this. To move forward together, we must have trust. We need to remember what these preceding verses had been talking about, and it's kind of a process. Jesus had given, we talked about this last week, uh, in a little bit of detail, Jesus had given these five types of gifts, apostolic gifts, evangelistic prophetic, pastoral, teaching gifts. He'd given all these. And those five gifts, which you hear talked about a lot in the Christian world, those are for the equipping of the church and to help us activate in us the many gifts that we read about, like in Romans chapter 12. And the end goal of these gifts is to help the church move forward and to do it in unity, to accomplish the next part of the process. The first half of verse 13 that we didn't read, it says, uh, we're to use these gifts until we all reach unity in the faith. Actually, we did read that. It's important to remember 10 verses earlier, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, and I'm, this is in the NLT. It says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit. United in the spirit. Binding yourselves together with peace. What is it that binds us together? It's peace. All these gifts that Paul has been talking about, they exist to help us have unity within God's church. And peace is something that we are supposed to pursue. We talked about in detail a few weeks ago how God gives the peace to us. It's from him, but we must work to keep it. God gives us peace, but we have to work hard to keep it sometimes. Don't look at your neighbor and say, man, that wouldn't be very nice of you. But we have to work hard to keep the peace sometimes. That unity that Paul talks about so much and that we've been mentioning just about every week during our series on Ephesians, it helps us move forward. When we're unified, we can move forward in trusting each other. To go back to the example of transporting the teenagers, and I'm going to kind of call on this as we go throughout today. As I said, I first had this suburban, big old black thing, and uh, after that, one other trusted youth leader. He was also our church's kids pastor, and he would caravan with me. So once we got above the threshold of eight, I would get him and we would caravan together. We could transport 12 or 13 people, depending on how many of them were tiny junior hires. Right? If the rule was they had to be in a seatbelt, and if they were small enough, you could get two of them in one seatbelt, right? Don't think, don't say you've never done it. We've all tried it before. We could transport 12, 13, maybe 14, if some, some of them were really small, if they were tiny. But it was easy with this guy, since Kevin, because I had complete trust that when I gave Kevin an instruction, as one of my youth leaders, he would follow it to the letter. Kevin's a great guy. And I could trust him because we were unified. He just followed me because we were unified. Our goal was to transport the students wherever we were going, you know, bowling or the park or whatever. Transport them safely, have fun doing it. We were unified in that goal, you know why we're unified in that goal? Because we both worked for the church, and if anything happened to one of the kids, we didn't want to get fired, <laughs> right? Don't want to have a parent mad at you and get in trouble. So we were unified in our goal. Have fun, take good care of the kids, don't get in trouble. Our goal was transport the student safely, have fun doing it. We were unified in that goal. For us to move forward as the church, we have to trust. We must have unity. In studying this week, I believe, I just, the Lord kind of spoke three things that we have to be unified in as his people. When we're unified in those things, they help us to trust each other. 
First one, we have to be unified in understanding and believing is we must be unified in what it is that saves us. If we're going to trust each other, we must believe that the grace of Jesus is the only way to heaven. If we're going to trust each other as the church, we have to believe that. In Ephesians chapter 2, we spent quite a while talking about this. Paul says that we are not saved by works, and the reason is so that no one can boast. I'm not saved by anything I can do, so there's no reason for me to brag about what I do. If we're going to trust each other, we have to believe that none of us here or anywhere can do enough good things to get to heaven. I'm here to tell you, friends, you can't do enough good things to get to heaven. Know this, and you write this down. I don't have it on the screen, but if we are striving to be good instead of surrendered, then we will fail. God's looking for a surrendered heart. Surrender to Christ is the only way to heaven. And if we're going to trust each other, we must all believe that together. Another thing we must know, we must be unified in knowing how God sees us. We touched on this also in chapter two. This was several weeks ago. But we all must understand that in God's eyes, every single one of us is the same. Ephesians 1.4 tells us that God loved and chose all of us. Ephesians 2.21 tells us that all of us are carefully joined together in him. He made us, he knows us, and he puts us together just the way he wants. Every single human, friends, is precious and equally valuable to God. All of us. For some reason, it can be controversial to say this thing in the church that I'm about to say. It totally shouldn't be. But there is no place for racism in the church. There isn't. There's no place for judgment when it comes to socioeconomic status. Who has more, who has less. I'm not talking about supporting or not supporting a specific political cause. That's up to you. You go speak to the Lord about that. But God, it's in his word. He loves every one of us equally. And we should strive to do the same. If we're going to trust each other, we should strive to do the same. Finally, friends, we must be unified in our mission. We talked in chapter three about how all of us have a common mission. It's fun to go on a mission together. I think about my sons, and this was just yesterday. This was happening. They've been reading this book, apparently, about old battleships. And you know how kids do, right? I was upstairs, and one of them came and got me, and they said, Dad, we need you downstairs, because they had laid some kind of trap for me. And uh, they pretended that they had built uh, some ship called an Ironside or something, and they got all the couch cushions and surrounded themselves and they had all the basketballs and tennis balls and every kind of ball in the house. And as soon as I walked down the stairs, John would say, fire! And Luke had a bike helmet on with spikes on it. He'd say, fire! And Luke would start throwing the balls at me. And he made this, like, cannon motion with his arms, right? They were having all kinds of fun. There was no arguing because they were unified in the cause. And that was to get dad with the iron side. We got to be unified in our mission. When we're on the mission together, we're together. We can trust. We talked in chapter three about how all of us as Christians, as a church, we have this common mission. That is to let those around us know about the wondrous grace of God, the good news of the gospel. Now, God, like we've been talking about, has graced us all with different gifts, and he's even given us revelation for what our current situation might be. God will give you revelation that you need at your work, in your family, whatever situation you're in, when you ask 
But we're all behind that cause of telling others about Jesus, of sharing the good news. And when we do those three things, friends, when we know that the person next to us, they're not trying to outwork us, get to heaven ahead of us. When we know the person next to us has no interest in judging us, evaluating us based on our status or the color of our skin. When we know the person next to us is pushing towards the same goal we are, then we can become unified. And we can trust that we believe the best in each other. We can trust that we're looking out for each other. Yeah, there's nothing that feels better than knowing someone else is looking out for me. And when we're unified, there's this intrinsic trust that begins to be built between us. We might not be able to write it down on a piece of paper. This is how I can trust so-and-so. But we know it's there. And when we have that, we can start up a couple of cars and we begin to head for our destination because there's some trust. Next, this passage tells us this. We move forward together when we gain maturity. Let's look at that. The second half of verse 13 as well as verses 15 and 16. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. The word mature is featured pretty prominently in here. And it's this concept that we're pretty familiar with, somebody maturing. And it sets the stage for what Paul's going to talk about in the next couple of verses here. Now, in an earthly sense, there are things that we associate with maturing. When someone matures, right, we refer to them getting, uh, they're physically growing or, or they're getting stronger. When you've got little kids in your life, this is the way you think of it. You've got little kids in your life like we do, six-year-old and the nine-year-old. All you need to do is look at a picture from one year ago. You think they're changing slowly, but man, you look at a picture from one year ago and you realize they are changing quickly. John 4, the nine-year-old that loves baseball. John 4 has always had these cheeks. Well, that sounds like a weird thing to say, but if you see pictures of him when he is small, like the first thing you notice is the cheeks. But every year, the cheeks get a little smaller and the limbs get a little longer. Cheeks get a little longer and he looks more like a boy and less like a little baby. And I see it each day when I'm driving with those guys and I look in the back seat of their car and their legs look like little praying mantises. They're all folded up in the back seat in their car seats, you know. And when we become adults, even though there's rapid physical changes that happen, those slow down for a while. There's still maturing going on. Might not be outside as much. But hopefully, even as we stop maturing on the outside so quickly, we're gaining strength on the inside. The maturing's happening inside. We're gaining strength in our convictions, becoming less likely to be swayed easily by what someone else says. When your kids, the things that you like and believe in, they can change pretty quickly, right? Kid can change his favorite superhero or favorite sports team or favorite whatever pretty quickly. But when you begin to mature on the inside, you decide what it is you're going to hang your hat on. And even then, we hopefully mature to a point where we begin to gain this amazing thing the Bible talks about all over, and it's called wisdom. I think we gain wisdom when we are able to take stock of all we've seen 
and zoom out a little bit and see the bigger picture. The longer we live, the more experience we have to call on, hopefully. And hopefully, the more wisdom and knowledge we can apply to a given situation. That's what it means to mature in earthly sense. To stick with the illustration of transporting the teenagers. When the group got bigger and we still had no large vehicle, I'll just give you a spoiler. We never had a large bus the entire time I was at that church in all six years. The caravan had to grow because this is what would happen. We would have youth group and, you know, you always put out a sign-up sheet so you know how many people to expect. Name, phone number. You go and you announce it and you walk by the sign-up sheet after youth and the sign-up sheet has 20 spaces and then you realize there's like 15 more kids that scrawled their names on the bottom. And you're like, boy, the, uh, the Suburban and the one of the car, that's not going to cut it. So it was common for us to have six, seven, eight vehicles going on these trips. And yeah, I'm telling you, it was hilarious. And what I needed is drivers with some maturity. Right, I needed some drivers. Some of you are laughing because you know what that means, right? I needed some drivers with maturity. I needed some people, A, I knew they were going to be a safe driver, Right? They can't have a bunch of tickets. They can't be not paying attention. They got to be good drivers. I needed some drivers with some maturity. They needed to be good drivers and responsible. But most of all, they needed to not be blown by the waves of random teenager suggestions. Because you get five, six, seven, eight teenagers in a car. You know what you're going to hear? Can we stop at the gas station? Hey, can we take that dirt road instead? Hey, can we stop by my house? Hey, can we stop? I need to get a charger from my phone. You got to have a mature driver who is not going to be blown by the winds of the teenagers begging. I did talk my youth pastor once into taking a 15-passenger van over a dirt road on the way down from Bogus. I don't know how I talked him into it, but talked him into it. I needed drivers with some maturity because when you get six, seven, eight vehicles involved and you've got kids in all these things, um, there's a lot of moving pieces. In a nutshell, that's the metaphor that Paul is using here when he talks. That's the metaphor that about us as Christians. If we're going to be moving forward as God's people, we have to stop being blown sideways by the winds and the cares of the world. So how is it that we become mature when it comes to our Christian walk? We just talked about earthly maturing, but how do we become mature in our Christian walk? Well, the answer, as it always is right here in verse 13, it's with what it says there, the knowledge of the Son of God. We become mature by gaining the knowledge of the Son of God. As we press into who Jesus is, we become more mature each day. And how do we grow in the knowledge of the Son of God? How do we press in? Well, we grow in the knowledge of Jesus when uh, the things of God become our things. We grow in the knowledge of Jesus when the things of God become our things. We begin to do this thing that's in the Bible called hiding his word in our heart. We carve out a time to pray regularly. And we do what Paul talks about, and we pray without ceasing. Paul talks about that in Ephesians chapter 1. We start to see our decisions through the lens of God's word instead of through the lens of the world. Those are all ways that we grow in the knowledge of Jesus. It's interesting, too. I think that all of this is coming out of these verses about unity. Seems to be saying that when it comes to the church, unity is a sign of maturity. Individualism is a sign of immaturity. 
Immaturity tends to look for recognition for itself, while maturity is perfectly content to pass the credit along to somebody else. I don't know who it was that originally said it, but I'm sure you've heard it as well. You can uh, accomplish a lot when you don't care who gets the credit. When we begin to have maturity as believers, then we are able to do what verse 14 talks about. Ephesians chapter 4, no longer be tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. You see, something else that happens when we start to mature as believers, mature in our faith, is that we are able to defend ourselves. And heaven knows, man, you have to be able to defend yourself in this world we live in. As the scripture says, an infant on the waves goes wherever the wind pleases. What the scripture doesn't say, but I think is also true, is that an infant uh, afloat on the waves in the middle of a storm, they're in danger of not surviving long, unless someone with some maturity swims up and saves them. The wind and the waves here, I think, is a metaphor for the teachings and people that are contrary to what the word of God says. You walk out of the street, when you fire up your phone, uh, you'll hear, you'll see a thousand teachings contrary to what God says in the, the first, you know, five minutes you have that thing open. It's thought that when Paul was writing this specific part, he may have been referring to this belief called Gnosticism, which was taking hold in the ancient world. We won't spend a ton of time on it, but the practice of Gnosticism essentially taught that the spirit and the body were separate things. Therefore, you could do anything you wanted with your body. Uh, read, you could sin any way you wanted to, and it wouldn't affect your spirit. It was a way of saying, oh, yeah, yeah, you can serve God, but yeah, but you can still do whatever you want to. Does that sound familiar? church to be a Christian, all you need to do to go to heaven is you need to be a good person. Jesus is every day. Paul was telling the Ephesians that in order to stand up against the teachings like Gnosticism, they needed to be secure in what they knew and believed about God. And that took work and study. In order to be secure in what they knew and believed about God, it took work and study. It's not that we never ask questions. In fact, we should always be asking questions. But God is telling us today that to be able to stand against the many schemes and pitfalls of this modern world, we need to be secure in what we know and believe about God. And on our part, friends, I'm here to tell you it takes work and it takes study. If you want to know God better, it takes some work and it takes some study. It's worth it on the other end. And all the saints have been serving God longer than I've been alive would say amen to that. It's not that we never ask questions. We're always asking and seeking answers. But we, if we are mature or even maturing believers, we're able to stand against those schemes of the enemy. And rest assured, once we you know, defeat one, another one will come up. Verse 15 tells us what happens when we do attain some of that maturity. We're able to, what does it say there, speak the truth in love. We're able to take some of that maturity that has led us to wisdom. And we're able to apply it in situations where the right words are needed. Or maybe the the right words are no words and you just need to walk away. Having concern for the truth of scripture is a foundational part of maturity within the church. 
Being concerned about what the scripture says, that's a foundational part of a church being mature. I'm not saying truth that we come up with, because I can give you a lot of opinions about church and God and all kinds of things. You don't need to have concern for my truth, but concern for the truth that's in the Bible. Speaking that truth with as much of the love of Christ as we can muster. Always keeping Jesus as the head of the church. That's what it says there. Christ is the head. Both of those things are, are things that are signs of maturity. And you see, we can move forward together when we gain maturity. Finally, this morning, as we get ready to finish this section of Ephesians chapter 4, we move forward together when we cooperate. We move forward together when we cooperate. Let's read this final verse, Ephesians 4, 16. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. If you remember, Paul used this same illustration about the human body back in Ephesians chapter 2. Maybe he was hanging out with, uh, the, with Luke, right? We call him Dr. Luke, the guy who wrote the, the gospel. And if God's people are going to move forward together, we need the full cooperation of everyone that knows Jesus. If we're going to move forward together, all of us got to cooperate together. The larger the group is, the harder it is to keep headed in the right direction. The more potential it is for a little part of the group to splinter off, start taking people in an entirely different direction. As I've talked you through the stages of being a youth pastor, transporting students. First, I needed some trust. Me and my friend Kevin, man, we had some trust. Then I needed some maturity. I needed to trust that the six or seven people driving, that they were not going to be blown by the wind and the waves of the teenager suggestions. But when the group got really large, I had to have some serious cooperation. Cooperation can happen when you've already got the other two, trust and maturity. And those two things, they help you to operate as one entity instead of multiple entities. I'll tell you what, once we got to taking 70 plus people with us, sometimes across the state, I needed people that I could trust and that were mature. And I knew that no matter what, they would cooperate. We'd be able to operate as one. My last summer there, uh, it was one of those deals where people just kept on signing up for camp. And we did fundraiser, kind of like Pastor Lucas and Selena are doing today and did on Wednesday. And uh, we raised, the church was growing and our youth group was growing and we raised thousands and thousands of dollars. And I just gave it all away to kids to get them to camp. It's like, whatever I can do to get you to camp. We raised two years in a row, we raised several thousand dollars with these, car, these crazy car washes. And it turned out that we had like 65 students and 10 or 12 leaders between 70 and 80 people, but we didn't own any large vehicles. And you're doing the math in your head and you're thinking about how many five-seater cars you need to do that, right? It's almost impossible. The gas, especially these days, but even then the gas would be too expensive. So, um, you know, it was a long time ago. It was almost 20 years ago, but I remember what I did is I just started desperately hunting for a bus. I had bus drivers, but I did not have a bus. So what I did uh, is I, I was driving on the freeway and I saw Calvary Chapel Boise right there and they had all these old buses sitting on the field. And I cold called them. And I was like, I saw those buses in the field. Is there any way I can borrow one of those? <laughs> Just a random guy calling. You know, I explained who I was. And to my surprise, they said, yeah, you can actually borrow a bus. Um, but we haven't driven it in a long time. So if you'll come get it, give it a little change, then you can borrow it. 
So I called my, I don't remember who my bus driver was, but called him. Hey, I found a bus. That took care of half the group. Not only did I have to get 70, 75 people across the state to Pocatello, but also I had to get their luggage. So I found a huge truck and I found a huge trailer and I found the bus and a couple other big vehicles and we eventually cobbled, cobbled together uh, enough room. And uh, also our, the trailer we got was so big that we were able to put our youth group's foosball table in there. Kids were like, we're bringing the foosball table, Pastor John. If we got enough room, we're bringing the foosball table. It's like, bring it on. But the operation got so big that I couldn't get, I, there was no way we were all going to caravan together got so big that I had to trust these people were going to cooperate. Trust I was going to be able to sit them down and say, okay, we're meeting at the church at this time. We're leaving. You're staying on the freeway. You're not taking any random detours that teenagers tell you to take. And we're all arriving in Pocatello. I had to have serious cooperation. And that meant that I trusted that they were going to do what they needed to do without me telling them anything. Remember, this was back in the days before everyone had a cell phone too. It made it quite a bit, quite a bit more difficult. We had to cooperate. There's things we see about the human body and how it cooperates uh, here in this chapter. It says here that it's connected by supporting ligaments, right? You've got ligaments all over your body. And they connect one part of the body to each other, right? If you're a baseball fan, uh, you've heard the, the dreaded, uh, heard the dreaded surgery called Tommy John surgery. Because you got the two parts of your arm. You've got this part, your upper arm and your lower arm. There's a ligament that connects the two. The ulnar collateral ligament, right? So your upper arm and your lower arm, they can be as strong as you want. But if that ligament between them breaks, you can't work together anymore. Likewise, God made some of us to be parts of the limb, some of us to be the ligaments to connect the parts. And if God's church is going to grow together, it has to have all of those parts. We talked last week about that scripture in Romans chapter 12. I encourage you to go read it again. We read it last week. I love how many different types of gifts that are mentioned. In that passage, there's mentioned encouraging and serving and showing kindness. And those gifts are mentioned right alongside speaking and teaching, prophesying and evangelizing. God's growing church, it needs absolutely all of these gifts and it needs multiple doing each thing and we need to understand one is not more important than the other it needs all the parts working together it needs cooperation this next and last part is so important it says the body grows stronger together as each part does it does its work not only is every part necessary but the entire thing gets stronger as it moves together body gets stronger as it moves together what a beautiful metaphor Paul has come up with for the church because indeed as it works together it does grow stronger and as it grows stronger here is the best part it gets more effective at doing what it's made to do ministering to the people that are there preaching the good news to the people around as the body grows stronger for the human body, that's accomplishing some type of earthly task for the church. It's leading more and more people to Jesus. And friends, that's why we need cooperation. This is why God wants us to grow and move forward together. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? We're, we're nearly done today, and then we'll go partake of the youth fundraiser. There's two things I want to do quickly. If you're here this morning, 
our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I'm the only one looking around. Uh, if you're here this morning and you keep hearing me talking about Jesus and accepting him and his grace. But if you're here today and if you're honest, you would say that you are not a Christian you, and you want to be today. It's fine if no one raises their hand, but we want to give you the chance to accept Christ today. John chapter 1 says uh, that we accept him into our lives. We call on his name. So if you're here today and you hear about this Jesus and it sounds amazing and you don't have it, you're not a Christian. When I count to three, would you raise your hand so I can pray with you? One, two, three. I trust that all of you here know this, know the Lord. Keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed. This is one I think more of us will identify with. If you're here this morning and uh, today, if you're honest, you would say, you know what? I do need more maturity in my walk. I do need a deeper walk. I do need to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ in order to be effective in reaching the world around me. If that's you this morning, would you raise your hand along with me and we'll pray together. Yes, Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for those uh, stretch their hearts and their hands forward. You say, Lord, I do need you to, uh, to help me become more mature in my faith. I pray over those that raise their hand, especially that you would just begin Help them discover new things about you. Lord, when they open their Bible today or tomorrow, Lord, that uh, things would jump out of those passages and find the deepest parts of their heart. Lord, I pray you'd begin to help them change small habits here and there to help them see the world through your lens, the lens of your word instead of the lens of this world. I pray that every single person in this church would grow to become more like you. And Lord, as we, we finish this section of Ephesians chapter four, I pray that you would indeed bind us together as one i pray we would, we would be able to trust each other we'd be able to cooperate i pray that we would reach more people for you than we ever have before jesus we pray that you would become more and we would become less we thank you for your grace and i pray that it would go with every single one of us we pray these things in your holy name lord jesus amen